Welcome. You're listening to sermons and talks from Providence Church in Brisbane. We believe that God speaks to us through His Word, the Bible. So we pray that as you listen, you'll be encouraged and challenged to love Jesus and live for Him. For more information about Providence Church, please visit our website, www.providencechurch.com. Mark chapter 8. Let's read together. During those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people, and they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 were present. After he had sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, Why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them, got back into the boat, and crossed to the other side. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, it is because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you still talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many basketfuls or pieces did you pick up? 12, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. This is God's word. Father, we do thank you for your word, and we thank you that you speak to us through it. We thank you for uh, um, the gospel of Mark and all the things that we've learned so far. Uh, thinking through a lot about who he is, who Jesus is, and, and what he means to us. I pray that you will help us to um, be with us today as we get into it again and, and hear from you, hear, hear you speak to us. Help us to, to, see, our, uh, to see our shortcomings and, and where, we, uh, where we fall short of, of knowing you and living for you. Help us to see that, Lord, so that we can um, be a people that do honor you and please you in our lives. We do pray for that now in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so it is Mother's Day, so I want to talk to you about um, the mum in my family, which is Heidi. Uh, it's the first Mother's Day I celebrated. The thing about me and Heidi, we have a really great relationship, right? We are married. Uh, we have a great relationship, um, but she does tease me a lot. I'm just going to say that. She does tease me a lot. Uh, she's, she often says to me, Mikey, I think you're blind. 
Uh, and it's not because I, not because I wear glasses, um, but it's because, uh, you know, she has 20-20 vision. But she, there are times in our household where I'm looking for something and I just can't seem to find it. And, and I, it's just usually right there in front of me. And she, says, and she goes, Mikey, I think you're blind. Let me give you an example. I'll say to Heidi, hey, hey did you see my glasses? I left them on the kitchen counter, uh, and they're not there anymore. Did you move them? Did you do something with them? And I start blaming her. You know, that's what I do. And she goes, I didn't touch it. Look again. Look harder. Or, or I'll go to the fridge. I'll say, hey, hey, did you, do, do we have any butter left? I can't seem to find the butter. It's not in the fridge. And she goes, Mike, look, look again. Just, just look harder. Right? And so I'm there in the fridge, and I'm like, looking harder. I'm looking harder. And then, for some reason... Those magic words, it just appears right in front of me. I'm like, oh, wow, she's right. I just got to look harder. And Heidi's across the room, right? And she's, you know, Heidi teases me. She's, she's there rolling her eyes. I don't know if you've ever had an eye roll from Heidi. It's, it makes you feel really, yeah, I feel really dumb now, right? So she's rolling her eyes at me. Now, now here's the thing, right? I don't think it's the only, it's, I don't think I'm the only one who suffers from this, right? I, I reckon there's more people out there who, who do suffer from this blindness as well. I actually talked to a, a, a couple of friends of ours, and they said that, um, well, his wife will tell him to look for seven seconds. Look for seven seconds before you ask me, okay? Maybe count to seven if that helps. So I know it's not just me, you know, and I refuse to believe this is a gender issue. I know many of you, oh, you're such a guy, Mike. <laughs> no, I'm sure there are women as well who, who struggle with this, right? It's, it's right there in front of them. I think I have good attention to detail, actually, matter of fact. I, I once worked as a data entry specialist, but, you know, sometimes, yes, I overlook things that are right there in front of me. Heidi might be right, I'm a little bit blind, but it's really interesting. I was looking this up on the internet this week, because I was, so f I was like, yeah, maybe I am blind. No, I looked at this up on the internet, and there's actually a term for it. There's this self-help guru, you might have heard of him, his name's Tony Robbins, he's a big thing in the self-help, you know, self-empowerment world. Um, and, and he, he wrote a book, and in this book he called this blindness, he calls it a mental scotoma. There's a new word for me, scotoma. Now the doctors out there, and maybe the, the, the optometrists, they'll be able to tell you um, there's this thing called scotoma where you have this partial blindness. You can only see part of you know, your vision, and there's this scotoma. And so Tony Robbins, he uses this idea in, in his book, he says he calls it mental scotoma, right, where you, f you just can't see things right in front of you. Now, it's interesting because what he says is if we can, we can overcome that mental scotoma by just believing. He's saying beliefs are so powerful that they limit what we can't see or don't see. If you don't believe you're going to see, if you just say, oh, I can't find the butter, you're telling your brain, your mind, that it's not there and therefore you can't see it. So it's, even though it's right there, that's what he, this is what he says in his book. It's a mental scotoma, a mental uh, sort of blindness when the brain chooses not to see it. You just have to believe. Now, I don't, I don't support or agree with his views on, on really anything. Tony Robbins, that's his thing. But if he's saying that there's a mental scotoma that exists, you know what, I wanna, you know what I'm going to come up with my own thing today. I'm going to say, I think we have a spiritual scotoma. I should put that in my book, huh? <laughs> Copyright that. There's a, I think there's a spiritual blindness when it comes to God. We want answers to spiritual questions in life, don't we? We often go through life looking for answers to those questions of where can I find happiness? Where can I find freedom? Where can I find peace? Where can I find security? Where can I find satisfaction? Salvation, salvation for, the, for, for the brokenness that I feel. We'll go looking. We'll keep going and we'll search and look and look, trying to find meaning and answers without realizing sometimes the answer is right there in front of us. Right there in front of us in Jesus. 
This is the spiritual scotoma. I, I think we overlook Jesus often when he's right there in front of us. And, and I guess, I reckon, if, if Jesus was here today in the room with us, many of us would probably not even recognize who he was. I think there's a spiritual scotoma at play in, in all of us. You see, his disciples, the 12 apostles in the Bible, his own disciples at one point had this spiritual scotoma, this spiritual blindness to Jesus. They did see him. They did see him perform miracles, some really remarkable supernatural stuff, yet they didn't realize who he actually was. Tony Robbins will tell you to, to heal your mental scotoma, you just have to believe in yourself. But there's a problem with that idea. Well, it's the definition of blindness. Blindness needs healing, and you can't do that on your own. You can't heal yourselves of physical blindness. And in the same way, how do we find healing for our spiritual blindness? Like the disciples, we need Jesus to restore our hearts, healing us of our sight and revealing to us who he truly is. So let's look at Mark 8 together. Let's look at these first, first 26 verses. So keep your Bibles open because I'm going to read through it at times and refer to it. Uh, and let's understand what this blindness is that the disciples are experiencing themselves. Let's read it from chapter 8, verse 1. During those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, But where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people, and they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 were present. Now, do you, have, do you have a bit of deja vu here? Right, because, uh, I mean, haven't we done this before? Uh, I often, I dream really vividly. If you guys know me, I dream a lot and I dream really vividly at night time. And sometimes I'm, 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 I might be talking to you and I'll say, have I dreamt this before? Have we had this conversation before? And I, I can't really tell if it's, like, it's deja vu or if it's something I've actually dreamt or if it's something that's real. But, you know, I, we all have that sense of familiarity, right? Like the deja vu. Like this was only two chapters ago in Mark chapter 6 where Jesus was hanging out with a big crowd, of a bunch of hungry hippos, crowd of people that numbered 5,000. They were hungry and he fed 5,000. What's going on here? There's a large crowd. They're in a desolate, remote place in the middle of nowhere. Jesus has compassion on this crowd. Jesus multiplies loaves of bread and fish to distribute and feed to the people. What's going on? Has, has the author Mark, right, Mark's gospel, has he forgotten already that he's told the story? Or is there an error in the text? Is this one of those really bad copy and paste moments? You know, have you, have you done that before? I copy and paste something and I accidentally press, you know, and I, I don't edit it and I send it in an email and I'm like, oh no, that's too late now. It's already late. It's just, is it just a bad copy and text moment? Let's look at it a bit closer because there are differences, right? Like it's, it's like those puzzle books, you spot the differences, right? Let me tell you what I discovered when I went through this from chapter 6 and chapter 8, the differences. In chapter 6, the location was in Galilee, right? It's a region where most people were ethnically Jewish. The crowds that followed him were from that region. They were Jewish people. They chased after him when he got onto a boat. In chapter 8, what do we know? The previous chapters tell us that they're in the Decapolis, that means it's, it's, a, it's a region on the western side of the Sea of Galilee where there were predominantly Gentiles, non-Jewish people. So he's in a different region. That's a difference there. 
we're told Jesus tells us that they were with him for three days now, so they weren't there in the moment. Took three, they were there three days with him. In the first feeding, what are we told? That how many baskets are left over? There are 12 baskets left over. This time there are seven. In the first reading, there were 5,000 men, we're told, which, which, which implies that it didn't, exclu- you know, it didn't include the, men, the, with the women and children. This time we're told there were 4,000 people in total. Now, now, what's the biggest giveaway? What's the biggest giveaway that this isn't some major glitch? Well, later on, verse 19, when they're sitting down, Jesus actually asked them this question, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls were left? 12, they reply. Verse 20, and when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls were left? Seven. Do you, do you see what's going on? Jesus himself refers to two separate events, two separate incidents. This isn't a bad copy and paste job. Mark is actually telling you, telling us, the reader, of a separate event where he was feeding a big crowd, thousands of people, again, with bread and fish. Now, this is quite interesting, isn't it? Because the disciples, what are they thinking? They seem to be really clueless. When Jesus saw the crowd and had compassion on them, he asked the disciples about food. And in verse 4, his disciples answered, where in this remote place in the desert can anyone get any bread to feed all of them? And you're thinking, haven't, haven't these disciples been with Jesus for the last few days, for the last, for the last few years? Like, I mean, however long that they've been with him, like two chapters ago for us, Jesus performed a miracle and fed 5,000 people. Twelve basketfuls of bread and fish were left over. What, what's with these disciples? And I think what we're learning here is that the disciples still can't see who this man truly is. They're blinded to his power, who, to his identity, essentially. They, 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 don't yet, they can't yet connect it. They don't yet believe, understand that Jesus can feed the 4,000 in front of them. So they ask, where are we going to get the bread? Or maybe there's, perhaps, maybe, just perhaps, that there's this beautiful naivety to it, right? They're just a bit naive, right? They don't treat Jesus like a, like a dispenser of miracles, perhaps, or, or a vending machine. When Jesus performs miracle every time, it's always unanticipated. It's always a nice wonder, amazing surprise. It's like the first time each time. But it still seems a little bit naive. Honestly, come on, disciples. You've been pay- if you've been paying attention, Jesus has done a lot of amazing stuff. We've been going through Mark for, for eight chapters now, seven chapters. He's powerful, isn't he? We've seen him heal a paralytic, heal uh, people of their illnesses, he calmed a storm, a raging storm, with a few words. He exercised the demon-possessed. He even raised a little girl back to life from the dead. How come the disciples aren't, can't, or don't realize what Jesus is capable of yet? Why can't they see that? You see, there's this term, right, that you might hear as a Christian, and I've heard this before. People have said this to me before. They, they describe Christianity as this. They say, Mikey, you know, you... You say you believe in God, but you can't even see God. It's like a blind faith. Have you ever heard someone say that to you? You're like, Christianity is just blind faith. But if you ask me as a Christian, you know what I think blind faith looks like? It's like this. Following God, following Jesus, but not knowing who he actually is. You have faith in him. Yeah, like you, you sort of believe that he's, he's someone special, but you don't actually understand it. And you're following him, in a sense, partially blind following Jesus around, not realizing truly who he is, like many of the crowd, thinking he's just some miracle worker. Why does Mark even bother, though? Why would Mark put this story here in chapter 8 that sounds so similar? Surely there are other special events that could be told 
right, about Jesus' life. Why feed the thousands again? Why do we need to hear this? Well, I think there's one of the reasons is because right here, Jesus wants his disciples to know that the compassion he has goes beyond even the Jews. It extends to the Gentiles. Remember where he is. He's in the Decapolis. It's in a region where the Gentiles live, non-Jewish people. You know, it makes sense that he would feed the 5,000 if they're Jewish people. That's his, his ethnicity. That's his people, his countrymen. But to people of other ethnicities, why would God's king, the Messiah, bother himself with Gentiles? Why would the king of Israel stoop low to serve in really how they viewed them an unclean people in an unclean place? That should be the thought that's going through everyone's mind as you see this, as you read this. Yes, you might feel compassion for your fellow men, but those who aren't, why would you waste your time? Jesus, come on. But what we see is God, Jesus, in Jesus, he sees them and he has compassion on them. That They too can receive Jesus as their Lord and Messiah. The gospel extends to them. And isn't that wonderful news? Isn't that wonderful news for you and I as well? Jesus, in his mission, came to seek and save the lost to go to all tribes, all nations, not just Israel, the nations around us as well. Like the good shepherd, he feeds his sheep, and his sheep aren't just amongst the Jews. Now let's consider for a second how great this reality is. His compassion extends to the world, starting in the Middle East, moving to the Mediterranean, to Europe, Africa, Americas, the Americas, to Australia, to Asia. Think about how amazing that is, that today we get to celebrate the, the risen Christ. That Christianity is a global, uh, global faith. That people know about Jesus in all parts of the world. And perhaps that's the vision that Mark wants us to have by including this story here. Jesus wants us to see that he has compassion upon all people. He wants to save the world. And he begins by feeding those who hunger. He'll be their savior, their provider, their messiah. Let's not be blind to who this man is. He's the one who is good news for me and for you. For your, for your Korean friend, for your Cambodian friend, for your European friend, for your African friend, for the world. But let's see where this text takes us next, because if you haven't rolled your eyes yet, you'll do it now. Verse 11. The Pharisees came, and they began to question Jesus, to test him. They asked him for a sign from heaven. And he sighed deeply and said, why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them got back into the boat and crossed to the other side. This guy just multiplied bread and fish for 4,000 people. And the Pharisees rock up. Hey, give us a sign from heaven. Let me tell you something you, don't, you might not know about me. I, um, I used to break dance, okay? Now, back in my 20s, this was for fun. I wasn't very good. lasted about a year. But I learned a few moves, okay? And so a few years back, one of our church members here had a 21st party and um, I went to it. It was a dance party. I was like, I'm in my 30s, right? And so I was like, mm, ah, mm. got onto the dance floor, and I threw out this break dance move. I haven't done for like 10 years, all right? It's, it's called a windmill. Your, your legs go flying through the air. It takes a lot of effort, right? So I, I, I go onto the dance floor. I throw out this windmill. I was huffing and puffing. My back was sore afterwards, and I did it, though. And, and after I did it, some other people came onto the dance floor like, what? We missed it, Mikey? What? Do it again. Do it again. And I'm like, deep sigh. Why does this generation ask? <laughs> I'm not young anymore, right? But unlike me, I mean, Jesus sighs deeply. He literally groans in his spirit because he knows the Pharisees' hearts. These religious men who are trying to entrap Jesus, Jesus knows them. Their hearts, they're blind to him. They're blind to faith even. They don't want to sit at his feet and listen to him teach. They don't trust him. 
They don't trust the miracles that he's already performed. If anything, he's just some magician, a sorcerer, someone who's, who's starting a, a political uprising, perhaps a troublemaker. Even if Jesus performed a miracle right there before their eyes, would they see him as the Christ? Or would they feel threatened, refusing to believe, hardening their hearts even more to who he is? Jesus is well aware of their distrust in him. So he says, shops closed today. No sign will be given to this generation. And it's that language, no sign given to this generation, that echoes something that God said earlier to the generations before. All the way back in Exodus, if you know your Bibles, in the book of Exodus, uh, as they, they're freed from slavery, they wander around in the wilderness and they're complaining and whinging to God. And God talks about this, this stubborn, wicked generation. Jesus, that's what Jesus is echoing here when he says, no sign will be given to this generation. You see, the issue is with the Pharisees is that their spiritual blindness has roots so deep that their hearts are hardened to who Jesus is. How much more does Jesus have to do for them to see that he isn't no ordinary man? You know, to see Jesus as the God-man, the Son of God, the Messiah that he is, it actually requires faith. It requires an element of trust. But they're too spiritually blind to see that. But let's return back to the disciples because they're wondering where their next meal is coming from. Verse 14. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. And there's seven basketfuls, they only brought one loaf with them. Verse 15, be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, ah, it's because we have no bread. Now, the disciples are worried about food, but Jesus is warning them about the yeast, which is essentially the unbelief and skepticism of the Pharisees that we just heard about. And that idea of yeast, right, it spreads through dough really quickly. So he's saying, be careful of that. Now, they're in two different universes right now, right? The disciples are like, ah, we get you, Jesus. Yes, because we don't have bread, right? And Jesus, like, no, that's not what I'm talking about at all. Yeah, and Jesus isn't, he's, he's talking about their spiritual needs, his, their spiritual blindness. He's talking about their hearts don't be blinded by what the Pharisees are saying and what they believe. You see, if Jesus has sighed deeply already, man, I'm sure he's sighing again, right? Because it really seems like disciples just don't get it. Verse 17, aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And, hear? and don't you remember, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, Do you still not understand? There's this plea from Jesus, do you still not see? Don't you remember? Do you still not understand? He sounds exasperated. They don't believe because they don't understand. You see, with faith, we, there is an element of understanding. And if you don't have understanding, then it is really blind faith, isn't it? That understanding precedes faith. Faith is not separate from understanding. If you don't understand the gospel, friends, if you don't understand Christianity, but you call yourself a Christian, honestly, that's blind faith. How can you say you're a Christian if you don't quite understand the good news that you believe in? Understanding and faith go hand in hand. Jesus is with his inner circle, the disciples. They've witnessed so much with their own eyes, and they still don't quite understand. Their hearts are still blinded to who he is. You see, we're getting a point here in Mark's narrative with this stack of rhetorical questions Jesus is throwing out to them. Don't you see? Don't you hear? Don't you understand? Because we, he wants us to feel the gravity of their misunderstanding. 
Who did the people, who did these disciples think Jesus was? Just a great leader? A miracle man? A, a wise teacher? A political? Or what, you know, what, what were they thinking? We've got eight chapters of this in Mark. And that, that's telling us something. It's quite profound, I, I think. But for them to truly see who Jesus is, it requires their spiritual blindness to be healed. And the only one who can heal that blindness is Jesus himself. And why do I say that? Well, let's see where it finishes. We finish reading the section with this event at Bethsaida. Jesus rocks up on his boat. They're met by some people who are asking Jesus to heal someone's blindness. Verse 23. Have your Bibles. Let's read this. This is really interesting. He took the blind man by the hand, led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes, then his eyes were open, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. We know Jesus heals people. That's what he does. He's healed a paralytic. He's exercised demons. He's calmed a storm with the word. He healed a bleeding woman. He even raised a little girl back from the dead. It's amazing still, isn't it? When we see Jesus' heart on display, he steps aside from the crowds, takes this blind man, and heals him. This man isn't beneath him. He doesn't say, I have no time for you. Jesus' compassion and grace is on full display. But it is a little bit unusual, isn't it? What happens? What does he do? He literally uses his saliva on this man's eyes. I mean, talk about unhygienic, right? I mean, inappropriate now, COVID world. I mean, Raya wears glasses. Raya, come up here so I can spit on your eyes for a second. No, okay, yeah. And I don't think, this, I don't think anyone would want that. Why would you want to, it's funny, when I was thinking about this, you know the image that I came up with is when you're a kid and you go out to the beach and a jellyfish stings you, what do you do? What are you told to do? To pee on it, right? Get your friend to come over and pee on the jellyfish thing. You know, that's a myth, right? Like, don't actually do that. But ever since you're, like, everyone just says that? This misinformation is just spread around to pee on it. And I'm thinking, is, that, is this why people do it in the olden times too? Like, if someone just said, oh, you should try spit, try saliva, it might heal your blindness. But guess what? It was a thing. You go into the research, and in Rome, ancient Rome, people, there are healers out there who would attempt to heal blindness with human saliva. It was a thing, an actual thing. And so Jesus, right? You're wondering why Jesus is doing He's using something that's in the culture around him, but he's showing people that he actually has the power to heal. He uses the spit method <laughs> in this cultural day to heal this man. He doesn't hesitate. But the unusual part isn't the spit. It's the fact that it doesn't happen instantaneously, right? The blind man opens his eyes and he still has this scotoma, <laughs> this partial blindness. I see people, but they look like trees walking around. And you're thinking, Jesus, what happened, bro? Like, did you run out of gas? Like, how come it took two goes to heal? But Jesus does it again. And the blind man's eyes were opened. His sight restored. Oh, everything crystal clear. 4K HD, 20-20 vision, right? I don't know, I got glasses later in life, right? I think I blame my uni degree, but it was like this. Wow. And you can see, and everything's clear. No more trees walking around, people. You know, it's, 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 it's HD. And I imagine that's what the second step of healing would have looked like, it felt like. Jesus, he's not with the 4,000 anymore. He's not with his disciples on a boat, but he's with this blind man. And we're told this story of how he heals his body. It, it requires two attempts. Why? And why is this story even here? 
Let's point out a couple. Let me point out a couple things before a couple things before we bring it all together. In the last chapter, chapter seven, we didn't get to cover this part, but let's go to it. Actually, if you have your Bibles, you should just turn a page, uh, scroll up to chapter seven. I'm going to read from verse thirty-one. This is really interesting. This happens before he meets the the crowd of four thousand. Verse thirty-one. Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee into the region of the Decapolis. That's how we know he's in Gentile region. Verse 32, there some people brought him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. Gross. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephatha, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. So last chapter, we had a deaf man whose deafness was healed and his ears and hearing restored. This chapter, we have a blind man whose blindness is healed and his eyes and sight are restored. What story do we have sandwiched in between? The disciples with Jesus witnessing him do another miracle and still not quite understanding who this Jesus is. They don't get it. And so Jesus says to them in that those series of rhetorical questions, what does he say? Verse 18, do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? Don't you remember? Do you still not understand? Deaf man, blind man, disciples not hearing, not seeing. Just like this blind man, the disciples, yes, they trust Jesus, but their spiritual vision is still partially blind. Spiritual scotoma. They don't see Jesus for who he fully is. Uh, and they won't. They won't see clearly until the cross and the resurrection of Christ. There, Christ will open their spiritual hearts, their eyes and ears to see who he truly is. The Messiah, the Son of God, who came to die and must die for sinners and be raised from the dead. So that the sin that we have will be no longer, will be no more. Sinners saved by Christ. The blind man's story is here to make a point. The disciples, yes, even us, are meant to realize that we too have this spiritual blindness where we might not see Jesus for who he fully is. That this Jesus is the Messiah. He is the servant king, the one who has to suffer and die to save. They, the disciples, and often us, don't truly understand who this servant king is. And we need Jesus to open up our blind eyes and our blind hearts, essentially, to who he truly is. Jesus is the Christ. Amen? He is the long-awaited Savior, the Son of God who can heal, who can calm a storm, who is able to take the sin of humankind and bring it upon his shoulders and rescue even people like you and I through his death on the cross, through his resurrection so that our sin can be dealt with. You see, how do, we, how do you and I, how do we actually know that he's, he's all those things? How do we know that he's the Savior, the Messiah, the King? That everything we read in this book, the Bible, isn't some fairy tale or legend. Well, the only way we know that is because Jesus himself shows us. He touches our hearts. He reveals to us who he is. And only he can heal us of our spiritual blindness. Only he can make us see and truly believe. So let me ask you, is there a blindness or a partial blindness in the way that you see Jesus that, what you see Jesus that needs healing? See, many of us here in, this, in our church, I imagine, would say we're Christians. And unlike the disciples in chapter 8, at least, we see the whole picture, don't we? We believe the Bible that tells us Jesus is the Son of God, who died on the cross for our sin, 
was raised three days later. We have the Bible that tells us that through our faith in God's grace, we are saved, sure. That's great. But I imagine that even with that knowledge, don't we sometimes, even as Christians, just like Jesus' disciples, have only partial vision? Partial vision? Perhaps we know that Jesus is our Savior, but we don't quite see him as our king. Perhaps we see Jesus as our, as our friendly, loving guy who is really chill, but we refuse to see him as one, of, one, one who judges, who hates sin, who calls us to repentance. How do you see Jesus? Do you see the whole picture? Do you, see, do you truly see him? Do you have the spiritual eyes to see him? Both as our friend, yes, but as our king. As the one who serves us, yes, but the one who leads us and calls us to take up our cross to follow him as well. Sure, we get it up here in our heads. It makes sense. God created the world. Yes, I get that. I can see that. Jesus is God. Sure, I get that. But there's a disconnect between our knowledge, our head, and our hearts. I get that Jesus died for my sins, but do I truly trust him? Will I trust him with my entire life? Friends, if you're a Christian, let me encourage you, like I need to as well, let's not have a blind faith. But let us, through prayer and the Holy Spirit's work, let's pray that our eyes be wide open to see Jesus for who he truly is. Let's ask Jesus to restore our sight to who he is as our King, as our Lord, and as our Savior. Sin is blinding, isn't it? And sometimes we forget to acknowledge that we all still will struggle with sin in this sin-stained, fallen world around us. How often do you come before God and have your eyes wide open to the sin in your life? and to the holiness of God. Friends, we need the Spirit to help us see Jesus for who He truly is, the, the holy, righteous one that we're called to follow. But the second thing we need to realize as well is if you are a non-believer here, or for our non-believing friends who are blind to Jesus, for them to know Jesus, it's going to take so much more than just a bunch of evidence, a good logical argument and reasoning. As important as that is, 100%, be prepared to share the gospel. Be prepared to, to do apologetics, to explain the gospel. Have an answer. But by your reasoning alone, by your actions even, are you able to change someone's heart? To heal spiritual blindness? Friends, our greatest tool is prayer. God gives that to us. It requires prayer. It requires Jesus himself and his spirit to bring life and faith to a blind heart. Know that the greatest gift that you can give to your friends is actually to give them your time on your knees in prayer to God because God will change their hearts. God will restore their sight and bring them to a saving knowledge of who Jesus is. Pray for them and see that Jesus works through our prayers to give sight to those who are spiritually blind. And if you're not a Christian here today, I want to encourage you, pray. Ask God, beg God to show himself to you. If, that's what, if, if, you, if you're convinced that Jesus has died for your sins, if you believe that, pray. Ask God to show, him truly, show, show himself to you truly as he is. I want to finish with this well-known quote by Christian author C.S. Lewis. You guys might have heard of him before. Hang this one up on your wall. He says this, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. I'll say that again. I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. There will be times in this life, on this side of heaven, where we will have blind spots still. 
moments of spiritual scotoma, where we won't see that the answers to our spiritual questions, our needs in life, like love and security and freedom and peace, are sometimes right there in front of us. But if we were to apply these words that C.S. Lewis says to our lives, if we started with faith, if we started with Jesus, our belief in Jesus, that it's through Jesus we see everything else, imagine that. Wouldn't we find that through faith in him, there is already satisfaction. Through faith in him, there is already peace to the very things our hearts are so desperately searching for. Friends, come before Jesus and put your faith in him. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for Jesus, that Jesus is the one who heals us of our spiritual blindness. We're thankful that Jesus is the one who, who shows compassion to the lost, who shows compassion to all nations, that we all have the opportunity to come before you and, and know you, have a relationship with you, and have our sins forgiven. We pray that we'll come uh, to see you as you truly are, your holiness and your righteousness. Help us to see ourselves as we truly are, that we are in need of you, that we can't do this, we can't heal our blindness on our own. We need Jesus. Help us, Lord, to, to surrender to the cross to see that the cross and his death and the resurrection is what saves us. Help us to come to Jesus as our Savior, to worship him as our Messiah, to know him as our King and as our Lord. I do pray that, Lord, for our church, that we'll come and we'll worship you and we'll be thankful knowing that we have a good God, a good and great God who shows his compassion, who showers his grace upon us and, 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 and we live from a place of love knowing that truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.